at verses 3 to 12 of James chapter 3, but I'll just begin reading at verse 1 through verse 12. So listen now to the reading, once again, of God's holy word. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in, a, in word... He is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of this same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and and fresh. Let us seek the Lord's blessing on this His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we do praise You and thank You, Father, for Your word. We know it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we look to Your word to conform our hearts and our lives to it, And as we come to this particular passage this morning, we pray that your spirit would be working in our midst, applying the truth here, giving us understanding and insight. And that truly, as your word goes forth in the power of the spirit, we do pray that it would find within each of our hearts and our souls that rich, fertile soil, which will truly bring about a great and abundant fruit for your glory. And so we pray now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Have you ever heard that? Maybe it's something that you've actually said yourself at one time. Kind of a, a, especially maybe on the playground. And certainly the intent of this little saying is quite sincere. Because by saying this, you're basically telling the person who's saying perhaps mean and hurtful things to you, that you're just not going to let their taunting get to you. Right? It's just going to, uh, you're just going to let it roll off your back like water rolls off the, bu- the back of a duck. Now some certainly have that resolve, and they don't seem to let the words bother them as they just press on ahead. But, but I think for most people, and even for those people that have that resolve, at some point... We acknowledge and we succumb to the brutal reality and truth of the matter 
words do hurt. In fact, broken bones and wounds from sticks and stones heal rather quickly when compared to the lifelong wounds that a few choice words can inflict on a person. Words are powerful. And they can bring um, about great destruction. They can bring destruction in our own lives and also, of course, in the lives of those around us. And because of this, the tongue then needs to be tamed and kept in check. And of course, as we noted last time, as we reread verses 1 and 2 here, it's because of this, James stresses the importance of this, particularly for those who would be teachers in the church. Because an untamed tongue is a sign of spiritual immaturity, and those who are spiritually immature ought not to be teaching in the church, lest they bring great danger upon themselves and upon those whom they teach. But remember, James was also quick to point out in verse 2, For we all stumble in many things. We all stumble, not just teachers, but we all stumble, especially when it comes to the tongue and the words that so easily come out of our mouths. Sure, you can think of a time when you said something that ended up being offensive and and hurtful to someone else. We all stumble in this way. And so this now becomes James' focus here, that we all ought to strive to tame our tongues, because the tongue is a powerful instrument that can wreak havoc and destruction with very little effort. Beloved of God, if we're to live as Christ has called us to live, well, then we must tame our tongues. In verses 3 to 5, James begins by uh, emphasizing the sheer power the tongue possesses. And he does this by, by first illustrating a general principle from everyday life, and then goes to apply it this principle specifically to the tongue. And the general principle is this, that something that's small in size can often control and direct something that's much bigger in size. And James has three illustrations of this, and each of these illustrations shows this principle, but in more dramatic fashion, one right after the other. And of course, with more power. And so first we have the bit. In verse 3, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Now, a bit is a pretty small object, and it's attached to uh, the bridle that actually goes into the horse's mouth. The bit goes into the horse's mouth uh, between the tongue and the, the upper part of the, uh, the roof of the mouth. And the bridle, so you've got the bit, this piece of little thing in the, in the horse's mouth, uh, sitting in the back of their tongue, and then attached to that is the bridle that comes around. And of course attached to the bridle are the reins. And the reins are held by the rider. Now in comparison to the horse itself, right, that bit is a very tiny little thing. And yet it's what the rider will use in order to control the movement, the speed, and the direction of the horse. 
And so a tug to the right and the horse will go right. And a tug to the left, the horse goes left. If, if the reins are held tightly uh, and there's a pressure put on, the, uh, on that bit in the horse's mouth, well, the horse will slow down. And then, of course, the, t- the reins are uh, held loosely and the bit can loosen up and move more easily around the horse's mouth, well, then the horse is able to then move faster. And so in this way, the horse, which weighs several hundred pounds and has a will of its own, is actually made to obey because of this small bit in its mouth, which only weighs a few ounces. And so that's the first illustration. A second illustration makes the same point, but again, in an even more dramatic fashion. In verse 4, Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Now the rudder would have been a small slab of cut wood, all right, set in the back and the bottom of the, of the ship, and it's connected to the helm or, or what we call the steering wheel, so to speak, of the ship. And so that the ship can be steered in this direction or that with this rudder. And the rudder, then again, for a rudder on a ship is going to be bigger than a, a bit in a horse's mouth. It's, again, they can actually, depending on the size of the ship, a rudder can be quite large. But in comparison to the several tons of the ship, that rudder is going to be nothing in comparison in size. The rudder will be quite small. And again, there's this disproportionate amount of power then that the rudder has compared to the size of what it's guiding and steering. But James also notes, not only would the massive ship be steered by this small rudder, but even in the midst of the strong and even violent winds which can easily toss a ship at will, the rudder is still able to maintain some amount of control and direct the ship accordingly. And so again, his point here is that small things have a great power. Now these first two illustrations have something in common. In both of these instances, the bit and the rudder don't steer on their own, right? They've, they're controlled by the rider and the, the pilot, respectively. And so even though they themselves are controlled and restrained, these small things still have great uh, power to direct things that are much bigger. But now he comes to, James comes to the third illustration, And of course, this third illustration, though, blows all thoughts of restraint and control completely out of the water. In the second part of verse 5, he says, See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And so completely reckless, uncontrollable, and possessing amazing and destructive power is the, the one tiny little spark that it finds its way into a dry forest or a field. The spark is unbridled and rudderless. That is, it's not being controlled by anyone. And so vast, and when it's not controlled, vast swaths of land, of, of timber, of vegetation, even homes and buildings and lives are held captive. And we see, have seen uh, some of this destruction uh, in uh, recent years, and especially out in the West, you know, with these huge forest fires. 
and how it destroys homes and, and, uh, and all these forests. It brings about great destruction, all from one tiny little spark. And so the James point here with these three illustrations is to really emphasize over and over again that small things can have great power, even destructive power. And so James now applies this principle to the tongue. In the first part of verse 5, he says, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Now, in comparison to other parts of your body, the tongue is small. And yet it has the power to do great things, even as we'll see, direct the course of one's life. Now, if it's controlled and restrained, like the bid or the rudder, well, it can certainly be then guided to a productive use. But if it's let loose like an unrestrained little spark, well, it can demonstrate a most destructive power. And of course, when we speak of the power of the tongue, we're not talking specifically about the strength of the muscle that is the tongue. But James here is is speaking, referring to the power of the words that the tongue speaks. Words. Even simple and small words made of of just a few syllables are powerful. And this power can be seen, for example, in how a speaker is able to mesmerize a crowd um, of people uh, as they hang on his every word. Or how a great salesman is able to persuade the buyer to buy something that he doesn't really need. Or how a coach is able to rally his team to victory with a a simple pep talk. With one little word, we have power to build up and encourage one another. But also, with one little word, we have the power to crush and tear down one another. Words are powerful. But the power of the tongue is seen not only in what it accomplishes, whether it's good or bad, but also in what it reveals about the one who's speaking. The tongue and the words someone speaks and the way they speak them can reveal to others the very condition of their heart, their mind, and their soul. Proverbs 10 verse 32 says this, The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. And so from a righteous heart flows acceptable speech. But from an unconverted heart, perversion flows forth. The mouth speaks and shows forth what is in the heart. And this is again what Jesus confirms. Matthew 12, Jesus says this, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our tongues have the power to reveal to others that which fills the secret places of our hearts. Brothers and sisters, have you considered this great humbling truth? And a gateway to our heart is is open for all to see when you speak. In the words that you use and with the tone uh, that you use and the manner in which you use them. Do you really need any other warnings then to then 
tame your tongue and guard your words. Our words, when they reveal our hearts, reveal our spiritual condition before God. And James had, had briefly touched on this reality earlier, back in chapter 1, verse 26, where he said, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And there James was saying that an unbridled tongue reveals a person's weak spiritual condition and the sad reality that their religion, that is, their faith and what they profess, profess that it's basically worthless. It's of no lasting or eternal value. And so surely the tongue is powerful. And again, with a few spoken words, the hypocrisy of our hearts can be revealed for all who care to take a look. Again, this ought to give a serious pause before we speak. Because the untamed tongue can be bad news. Not just for the person to whom the words are directed, but especially for the person who's speaking. But James isn't finished with the bad news about the tongue as he now goes on to describe the inherent danger that the untamed tongue can bring and that speech has. In verse 6 he says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. Well here, James has moved from a simile, right, that something is like, to now a metaphor. And when he says that the tongue isn't just like a fire, but he says the tongue is a fire. It is a fire. It's a consuming fire that destroys everything in its path and it burns whomever it touches. This is what makes it a world of iniquity or sin. Not that the tongue is any more more sinful than any other parts of the body, but again, the tongue, again, the words either expressed or even the words simply thought. But the tongue is involved in every sin and form of evil. Now, certainly this is easy to, to see when we think about for, someone, for the example, using the Lord's name in vain, or when they're out speaking lies, or gossiping. So we can easily see how the, the tongue is connected to sin, but also when you think about it, the tongue is also involved in other sins. And so, for example, idolatry. How is idolatry expressed? Idolatry is expressed in words of false worship to a false god. Disrespect to parents and those in authority is most often involves words or thoughts leading to action. Words of rebellion and disrespect. Well, the same is true for lust, for murder, for theft, and for covetousness. All sins involve words in some form or another. Either words that have been explicitly spoken, or those that are just thought and pondered in the mind and in the heart and on the very tip of the tongue. And such sins then lead to the destruction of those around us 
as well as ourselves. Well, consider how easy it is with just a few simple words to bring about destruction. Right? Gossip and, and rumors can quickly spread and ruin careers and reputations. A slander is when someone speaks ill, usually uh, groundlessly, of another. And this too can destroy someone's reputation. That's why we often refer to it as a character assassination. Right? It's the murder of a person's reputation or character. It's not an actual murdering them, but it's killing their reputation and their character with words. Again, lies. Lies too easily let loose to cover our, our own guilt and shame. They can destroy relationships with those whom you love. A harsh and angry words can emotionally beat someone to a pulp and really strip them of, of their dignity and inflicting harm that could truly last their whole lives. Abusive words. And vulgar speech destroy any sense of peace, truth, and beauty that may be found in the world. The uncontrolled tongue is truly a consuming fire that easily and quickly destroys everything in its path. Well, this leads to the next danger of the tongue. And that is that the untamed tongue in the world, or the words which it spews forth, defile the rest of the body. As we noted before, the tongue reveals the heart. And if the heart isn't right and true, then the tongue will clearly reveal that. But again, it's one thing to have sinful unspoken words, that is thoughts, but it's quite another to have sinful words spoken and sinful words then put into action. See, this only further defiles a person. For example, when Jesus Um, was confronted by the Pharisees about why his disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate, Jesus responds sharply in Matthew 15. He says, It's not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then Jesus goes on to list some of the defilements that come from the heart through the mouth. This is what what he says in verse 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Now to defile something basically means to make it dirty, right? To make it unclean and worthless. And so when our tongues are untamed... Will our words then soil us with actual sin as it reveals the inherent sin that's already there in our hearts? And again, as we noted before, this defilement is revealed then to everyone. Right? Everyone then sees what's in our hearts. With an untamed tongue, everyone sees your shameful, sinfully stained heart. But, this pollution doesn't only affect the individual, but it also will affect those around them. You see, the tongue just doesn't defile the mouth, the teeth, and the gums, but the entire body is polluted. And consider then the consequences of such an untamed tongue in the midst of a body of people. 
that is in the midst of the church. Right? The whole body is affected by the stain of one of its members. And we see this kind of thing all the time when someone in the church is caught up in a public scandal and, uh, and words are spoken. Well, it's not just the, uh, the, it doesn't necessarily just fall on the person, but also the whole uh, church that they're identified within, uh, with becomes affected. And people begin to criticize and look down upon that particular group, whether they had anything to do with the person's sin or not. And so in this, it's possible then that James has in mind here what we spoke of before, that how the untamed tongue of a teacher or lead in a church can adversely affect the entire congregation of people. So that the whole body becomes defiled as they're led astray into false doctrine or into godless living. And so the tongue brings defilement. But again, it's not just limited to the teachers and to the leaders, because we all, Stumble in many ways. We all stumble through the sins of the mouth and the sins of the tongue. And so we can all bring this defilement to the body of Christ. Well, thirdly, the untamed tongue is dangerous because it influences one's life. And not for good. As James says here, it sets on fire the course of nature. Or literally, uh, the rendering is there, sets on fire the wheel of our existence. Right, The whole course of our lives. Now we noted how the bid and the rudder has the power to lead and guide things much bigger than itself. And certainly again, the tongue does the same. Now with a good experienced rider or pilot in control though... Well, they'll be able to lead skillfully away from danger and away from destruction. But friends, in our natural sinful state, we have to remember, we don't have a good, experienced rider or pilot in control. No, we have in control one who's bent on our destruction and who purposely is looking to steer us toward evil and toward danger. Now certainly the horse and the ship might have a better chance of survival, slim as it may be, if no one was guiding them than they would if if someone actually was leading them with the very intent to destroy them. But we have no such luxury. In our fallen and sinful state, outside of Christ, the untamed tongue, guided by this sinful heart, is intent on leading and guiding us to doom. That's our condition outside of Christ. And where our tongue will lead us because of the sinfulness of our hearts. And again, the whole course of our lives is at stake. That is how we live and and where we're going to end up, not just here in this life, but eternally. We aren't surprised then when someone who speaks with vulgarity and abusive language also leads a life that's filled with vulgarity and abuse of themselves and likely often of others. See, someone surrounded by garbage who spews forth garbage undoubtedly has a heart that's filled with garbage. And a heart filled with garbage isn't a heart that's right with God. And a heart not right with God will surely be destroyed. And so this is the dangerous influence of the untamed 
tongue. As we then see, fourthly, the untamed tongue is dangerous because it's well-fed and it is supplied by the flames of hell itself. You see, evil will feed and support that which is evil and sinful. The untamed tongue not only will lead to the destruction of eternal hellfire, but it actually gains strength and nourishment from that same fire. In other words, what James is warning here is that the untamed tongue reveals a life that remains in bondage to Satan, sin, and death. And we know Satan delights when a tongue is unrestrained so that it will wreak havoc on people's lives. And so obviously he's going to then do all that he can to encourage unbridled tongues and loose lips. Diligently laying temptations even before us, even before the children of God. He will seek to tempt us to let up on the reins of our tongues so that we can also then be tempted to inflict harm on one another with simple and yet very powerful words that are poorly chosen and unwisely spoken. Beloved of God, we must be on guard against this. The tongue must be tamed. Now with such great power, even with such spiritual power feeding and nurturing this untamed tongue, we have to wonder, is it even possible to tame? Well, this is what James now addresses in verses 7 to 12. And we see clearly in these verses, it's hard. It's hard to tame the tongue. In verse 7, James makes a reference to the creation account in Genesis 1 when he notes, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Now, the reference is to the culture mandate which God gave to mankind back in Genesis 1, verse 28. And there God said, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right, Having the dominion over all the creatures. That's the mandate God had given to mankind at the very beginning. And James makes this reference here in verse 7 to basically say this. Look, from the beginning, mankind has been given this mandate and he's done a great job in being able to subdue the earth and exercise dominion over all the creatures. But he often fails miserably when it comes to taming his own tongue. And then James goes on to say in verse 8, But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Now the latter part of this verse, again, further demonstrates the destructive character of the tongue. But it also shows us just how hard it is to tame. See, something that's unruly is constantly on the move from from one thing to the other. And it's unstable, it's unpredictable, it's restless. You can more easily set a trap and catch an animal 
then you can catch destructive words before they leave your mouth. Oftentimes our lips are not that quick to catch those words and keep them from leaving. So the instability and the the unpredictability of the tongue is often demonstrated, as James notes here in verses 9 and 10, One moment, our tongues are used to bless God and praise His name, and then suddenly, we turn and we breathe curses against one who has been made in the similitude of God. And again, here, again, is another reference to the creation account, and God making man in His own image. And of course, the implication is, that even though we bless God with our tongues, well, when we curse another human being, we're ultimately cursing God because that person has been made in the image of God in other words we think we're doing well with our tongues when we're praising God but we really aren't at all now you may be wondering well when do I do this well here we are gathered together as the body of Christ on the Lord's day as he's called us to worship him And to praise His name with our tongues. And then with the fruit of our lips. And it's a wonderful, glorious thing to do. To give praise to God with our mouths. But say on the way home. Or give you a better better chance. Say by Wednesday. (laughs) Maybe on the way home. But by Wednesday. You tear into someone. With angry words. Or maybe you engage in gossip about your neighbor or someone else. You're spreading lies. You lie to your spouse or you lie to your parents or you lie to uh, your children or you lie to your boss. Don't you understand that the same tongue you used on the Lord's day to bless and praise the Lord is now the same tongue being used to curse and to condemn one who's been made in the image of God, the same God that you just days before had been praising? That's what you're guilty of when the tongue remains untamed. Now this is significant because it points to one of the overall themes of James' letter. And hopefully you've been picking up on this this key theme, and that is the consistency that we're to have between our profession of faith and how we live our lives, right? It's not just about what we do here on the Lord's Day, praising God, and we come, and we're all Christians, we're, hey, we're happy, we're, we're here, and bless you, brother, and hey, good to see you. But we have to live out the rest of our lives consistently with what we do here. Right? The other days of the week matter. And what we say, and how we live, and what we do. Right living, that is, living in a godly manner as Christ has called us to live, involves even what we say and how we say it. Taming our tongue, then, is one of the works that will give evidence of the truth and the vitality of our faith. If we're controlling, seeking to control our tongue throughout the rest of the week, well, then we are showing our faith. By our works. 
blessings and curses coming from the same mouth, though, is an absurd inconsistency. And James further illustrates this in verses uh, 11 and 12 with these rhetorical questions where a no answer is the proper implied response. Right, A spring is only going to bring forth either fresh water or bitter. It's not going to bring forth both. It can't. And no matter how hard genetic engineers try, a fig tree is never going to produce olives and a grapevine is never going to produce figs. It's not going to happen. And a spring with salt water is only ever going to produce salt water. You see, by definition, it can't produce fresh water and salt water at the same time because as soon as you add the fresh water, the fresh water becomes salty. It can't happen. These things are simply absurd. And James' point here is is that so too is the one who blesses one moment and then curses the next, all the while thinking that they and their hearts are right before God. Brothers and sisters, hear very clearly the charge of the Apostle and the Lord Jesus Christ here in verse 10. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. And yet, if we honestly examine our own lives and our speech, we'll see that all too often this is exactly the way it is. Our tongues babble on untamed and bring great harm to ourselves and others. How then can it be done? It's near impossible. Which is why James says what he does back in verse 2. That if someone was able to control their tongues, well, they'd be perfect and complete. They would be fully a a fully mature person. But such a person who can find. Now, before we get too discouraged, there's two things to keep in mind here. First, near impossible isn't impossible. Near it, but it's not fully impossible. And the second thing is that though God calls us to perfection, He knows us. He created us. He knows that in the weakness of our sinful flesh... And even as believers, the remnant of the sin nature that remains in us, as we even read earlier in Romans 7, which clearly uh, shows that, the Lord knows that we are not going to attain perfection in this life. And so He's provided for us a way that we can live in grace and faithfully strive to do what He calls us to do in His strength for His glory, even including the taming of our tongues. And we catch a glimpse of this in verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. Now some translations here do a better job of bringing out the literal meaning here. And so, for example, a better rendering would be, No one of man, or no human being. It's not just saying no one in general, but no. No human being, no person anywhere. Not just mankind, but... No one individual has the power to tame the tongue. That is because we're sinners by nature. 
And again, our hearts are bent on our own destruction. We're unstable and we're incapable of taming our tongues on our own. It is impossible for us to tame our own tongue. But God, but God who made us, but God who made man, but God who made man's mouth, but God who made man's tongue, surely He can tame the tongue. And it is God, through the Holy Spirit working in us, who will empower us and enable us to tame the tongue by the grace and strength given to us through Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we all stumble in many ways, especially with our tongues and with the words that we speak. But in Christ alone, we have the grace and the strength available to us to restrain and control the tongue so that we speak more and more blessings and less and less curses. The love of God, as the prophet Isaiah declared in the presence of God's glory in Isaiah 6, we must also humbly acknowledge before God that we are a people of unclean lips. Our speech and our words reveal the sinful and needy condition of our hearts. Clearly, what we say and how we say it matters to God. So then let us look to Him to tame our tongues. As the psalmist prays in Psalm 141, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You can't do it in your own strength. And in this life, you will never do it perfectly. Friends, if you trust in Jesus Christ, by His grace, And resting in His daily grace, you will be able to control the tongue. And you'll grow. And you will spiritually mature. And you'll speak good words of blessing, praise, and encouragement to the glory of God alone. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ then. And you will surely not be disappointed. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do praise You and thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the great challenge here. And we are mindful of our own sinfulness, our own weakness. And I'm sure each of us can be thinking of times when we spoke words out of turn, when we spoke words perhaps not even intentionally, and yet often intentionally. That brought harm and perhaps even destroyed. And Father, we come before you, we confess before you these sins, and we acknowledge that we are helpless to tame our own tongue, and we truly need your help to set that guard over our mouth and over our lips. By your Spirit working in us, the Spirit of the living Christ working in us, by your grace, we truly will be able to gain control of our tongue. And that as our heart continues to be purified by Your Spirit and by Your Word, that may our speech also be more consistent with how we live and how we profess. And that we would truly speak words to build up and to encourage 
not just one another, but that we would speak words of truth and love to those around us, to this world uh, drowning in sin and death. You have given us the words of life, of the Gospel. And that You would give us boldness to speak those words instead of speaking words of judgment and condemnation that we would speak the words of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, calling people to repent, to turn to Christ, and to trust in Him for their salvation. And that through this witness, that many would come to know You and to trust in You through this witness. And we pray, Lord, for ourselves as individuals. We pray for our church in this way. We pray for other faithful churches that they would seek to proclaim the truth that You would give us such boldness. But again, it begins with each of us individually. Speaking the Gospel and sharing the Gospel with someone will mean nothing if we then turn around and speak lies or tear down with our words to someone else. And so we pray, Father, that You would truly have Your Spirit at work in our hearts applying these truths to us, drawing us all closer to Yourself, that we might truly be equipped to be those faithful witnesses for your glory in all things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.